Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to Changing the Frame. We are your hosts. My name is Indigo Corres, and my pronouns are she and her. I am Leo Torre, and I use he, they pronouns. We are a podcast that discusses trans and non-binary experiences in the film industries. Every episode will count with the appearance of a trans and or non-binary multimedia artists in the film industries to talk about their work. We're really excited to share these amazing talks and discussions with you all. Today, we have two amazing special guests, Ivor McCaskill and Rosanna Cade, incredible queer artists based in Glasgow. And the focus of discussion will be around their most recent work, which is called The Making of Pinocchio. And it is a recording of the play that they have been working on for four years now. During the pandemic, they recorded the play at Tramway in Glasgow, and it is honestly incredible. <laughs> They're also performing the play of Making of Pinocchio in Glasgow on the 27th and 28th of October. So please make sure to check it out. This is Changing the Frame. Thank you for joining us today, Ivor and Rosanna. Um, I'm really, really excited because I met you at Squiff and it was a great film that you just showed um, at the festival and I really enjoyed it. First, I would just like you to introduce yourselves and what you do. You go first. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, hi, uh, I am Rosanna, Rosanna Cade, um, pronouns are they them. And um, I, I'm an artist based in Glasgow. Uh, my practice is sort of um, mainly rooted in live performance. Um, and that's sort of what my background and my training is in. But um, I feel like, um, yeah, that's sort of really broadened out recently. And the form of the work tends to sort of emerge in relation to whatever process or context I'm working with. Um, yeah, and I, myself and Ivor collaborate as Caden McCaskill, um, but I also have my own um, practice as well. Yeah, hi, I'm Ivor. Um, my pronouns are he, him, or they, them. And yeah, I'm also an artist uh, making theatre and live art. Um, I make work for children as well. Um, and yeah, work with Rosanna. So yeah, that's me. <laughs> So um, I was also at Squiff and I saw the film and it was really a big moment for me because I, I come from Aberdeen and there was like no cultural stuff in there. But anyways, um, <laughs> you know how you mention in presenting ourselves the way that you meet and like how or your relationship has like developed and everything and all of the practice, different stuff that you guys have done together. How has your practice developed as like through the years? That's a good question. <laughs> have you got an answer, Rosanna? <laughs> um, well, it's me and Ivor have known each other um, sort of since I first moved to Glasgow, which is nearly 15 years ago. Um, you can probably tell I'm not from here. <laughs> I grew, grew up uh, in the south of England. But, um, and uh, so we've known each other. Um, I was a student on the contemporary performance course um, at the RCS and I've uh, sometimes did some guest lecturing on that course and was sort of part of that community at that time. And then after I graduated, um, I've uh, invited me to make a show together with him, um, which was for Glasgow Festival that used to be a, a, like 
gay mainly festival in Glasgow obviously um, <laughs> and um, to make a show about um, lesbian history uh, or the sort of lack of it um, and it was called Strange Hungers and it was this kind of grubby like cabaret piece where we were finding the kind of small things you can find out about like queer women from um, throughout history and that's how we started working together and that was before we um, became partners in life um, but I think we we just really got on um, working together and I think had quite a natural chemistry on stage and um, I think one of the main things is I just find Ivor very funny uh, so I really enjoy um, making work with him um, but then and then when we so I'm just going to give the whole answer to this over go but, for it go uh, for it uh, <laughs> that we, was my first mistake was <laughs> we um uh we then sort of um we got together at the end of 2013 um as partners and but we found that we were because we both working separately we actually were often away and we didn't spend that much time together so we sort of started making work together almost in order to be together more um and for a long time our practice was just um the work we did together was just in our band uh, which is called double pussy clip fuck um and uh we and that was just a kind of something we did for fun and for love and it was about like it was quite punk and um it's an anti-genre riot girl on girl and boy on boy experimental live art concept band um <laughs> uh but yeah and then and then um in 2017 we started that's when we were yeah we we got a commission to make more of a show together and that's sort of since then we've been working together a lot more regularly and making bigger pieces um and and that's and now for the past four years we've been making our show the making of pinocchio which you saw the digital version of um and i feel like we sort of established more of a a practice together of making shows and and i suppose in some ways just finding ways of expressing um our lives and the changes that have been going on for us through different mediums by the way i love the name of the band how did you come up with that name I am not sure. We um the band came out of uh we were invited to create something for a night that was on at the Citizen Theatre in uh in Glasgow and it was a night sort of celebrating the idea of Riot Girl and so that's where we were like, Oh, we should try and be a Riot Girl band. How hard can it be? That's, that's the whole point is just get some small instruments and uh, and then do it. But I don't totally remember how we came up with the name. Well, you I think probably came up with it. We were, actually, I think you came up with it. Um, uh, we were looking at lots of um, Riot Girl names and we really enjoyed the sort of very sexually explicit ones. Um, yeah. But I think what's funny about that name is it's also Double Pussy Clip Fuck sounds a bit like you know, this awful lesbian porn created for, for like, straight men. Um, and I think, yeah, certainly the, the sort of way we present ourselves on stage and our gender expressions are, like, very sort of against that as well um, in the... Um, in the acts that we do, so um, yeah, it's if we we you know if people ever Google that name, they find <laughs> uh, yeah, it's probably just not a good idea. Actually, it's just not a good idea. <laughs> Don't Google us. 
Um, I was going to ask because you've been making queer art together for a long time and after you're both transitioned, um, I know that you've always played with gender, especially in Double Pussy Clip Fuck, in many ways that you talked about in presenting ourselves. Um, how has your art practice changed and being reshaped by being trans um, rather than before when you're exploring queerness? Yeah, I think um, I think for me, I've realized that making performance work has definitely been a way of processing what's going on for me in terms of you often gender and but other things like how am I existing in the world? How am I relating to other people? Uh, what's important to me? And so it just feels like that's a way to work things out. So it can be a really useful thing. Hopefully there's, there are other, there are outputs that are useful for other people or at least interesting. Um, but the process is definitely an important part of it. And I guess with this, uh, this recent time of working where we've been looking more particularly about transitioning, um, there was definitely a sense of let's start just with the creative response to it, not thinking about what if there's a show or if there's a film or anything, but, um, you know, we've got a lot to process individually and together as a couple, as collaborators. So let's use our creative juices to kind of to to work through that um and then that kind of turned into like well yes maybe there is a show here or uh, or film work um so I guess it felt quite part of it feels quite organic like of course we would start working creatively as another way of coming at it I guess for me um working through things with my gender I'm like I need as many ways to think about this as possible and as we state in the in the show there's not very many models out there of like oh this is what you do I think when I started to explore what I might be able to do to transition I was sure there was going to be at least one website where you just type the stuff in and then it's like this is what you do here are the processes this is where you should go and but it was really felt like whoa, you've got to cobble this together from a lot of different places. Hopefully it's a bit better now, but I'm not sure. Um, so you're trying to cobble together your identity through lots of different ways. And so responding to it creatively was is one part of that, I think. What do you think, Rosanna? Um, yeah, no, I agree. And I think, I think as a queer artist, um, sort of... I feel like, yeah, I definitely identify with being a queer artist and I feel like there's different strands to that. And I think on the one hand, it's about um, creating work or spaces for other queer people so that we can see ourselves represented and learn and feel affirmed um, and celebrated and, um, yeah, discover more about uh, who we are and who we can be. And then I think the other side of it is about trying to reach outside of that community and help um, spread kind of greater understanding. Um, and sometimes a piece of work can be doing both of those things, but I think sometimes they're different intentions. But I think sort of, yeah, I think it, for me, it has, a lot of it has been about sort of 
a lack of representation as well that I have felt as a human growing up. So first of all, yeah, just sort of growing up with no, um, well, yeah, under Section 28 in the UK, so and in a small town, just like absolutely no, rep- like didn't know anything about any queer people ever in the world um, until I was like 19. So, um, re- and, and really that felt like something that to really reflect on and that I really wanted to be trying to um, overcome. And then I think when Ivor was first exploring his gender again, I was just like, hang on, like, there's so few representations of, like, couples sort of going through transition in a way that is actually, like, queer and expansive and experimental and because it's so often just this really kind of normative presentation of of that happening and, I don't know, like, someone was like, oh, there's this, you know, BBC4 play about um, this lesbian couple and one of them transitions, but, like, they're just arguing the whole way through this play. And I was just like, this is awful. Like, this isn't our relationship. Um, and, you know, there's and obviously lots of different kinds of representation are important and one thing can't do everything. But I think it's sort of, um, yeah, feeling like, I suppose I've always felt this drive to, yeah, be trying to present other kind of options or, um, and, and as Ivor says, to discover more through, going on those processes together. Um, I think as well, like what a big learning and um, process that's happened for me over the past few years since I first started exploring his gender is just this realization that um, things can really fundamentally change. Things that you felt were very fixed and very huge part of who you are um, can shift and, and that's, I think in terms of being an artist, that's a really useful thing to be working with as well. Like the idea of being unfixed and of of trying to, yeah, you always kind of leave the door open for new ideas or things to be coming in. And I think obviously we've all just lived through this pandemic as well, which has been so awful in so many ways, but something it has shown us is that how unpredictable things can be and things can change a lot and I suppose we're always trying to learn to live with that um, kind of adaptability. And um, yeah, I feel like it's it's sort of ongoing learning as an artist, how to work with um, with those things as well. And I think that it just makes me think that that can also be, it's, it's hard to hold on to that fluidity when you're trying to make a career in the arts as well, because you understandably get kind of you can get pigeonholed or you can pigeonhole yourself I guess and and say yes I'm the artist who talks about this thing or I'm you're definitely going to get a response about transness in this this work um and so there's there's a bit of a, a danger there I guess um yeah so I think I think you're right Rosanna like holding on to that flexibility and fluidity um can be really important for yeah your own mental health and for your career as well I guess. I was just about to ask about queer temporalities in your art so like you've almost already responded to the whole thing uh, which is very good but um, (laughs) thinking about fluidity towards the future and in regards to your practice is one thing and thinking about it in terms of your like your own identity do you guys ever like go back and reflect on the people you used to be and the stuff that you used to do and do you like have any feelings towards it and how you have shifted now because 
something that you have made in the past you might have like started and then it takes a few years to finish a project and then you're a totally different person how do you feel about that yeah I think I think that's a really good point I think it's something we've been aware of um yeah like with with this project the making of Pinocchio started about four years ago and uh it's we've because we've been aware that we might be performing this show I guess I guess that's something when you're performing work rather than it being a film piece that is uh is done maybe um there's a sense of like okay is how's it going to feel to perform this and to say these words that maybe I wrote four years ago or maybe they're yeah from you being a, a different person and that's I guess that's an ongoing question of is the voice of that person useful now or how can I frame it so that uh I can sit beside that voice I think one of the things we were playing with um as we were making this was we recorded each other answering questions at the beginning with an idea that maybe in the work there would be a conversation between that earlier part of ourselves and and the now and that sort of fell away maybe because it was quite hard because I think some of those earlier um videos it's like really it can be it's really difficult I think some of the time I'm quite upset I'm thinking about um I don't know what I'm doing I haven't started transitioning it feels really big and hard to understand and the time of doing the performance seems so far away um but I think the idea of yes considering yourself and talking to yourself uh as a past version and how do you hold those past versions I think is kind of there within the work um but it's yeah it's complicated and (laughs) I think also in a kind of like neuro queer time space I find time as because I was a bit late to this I find time very difficult and confusing and um if I look at things I've been trying to sort out some stuff in my room and uh like some and I'm like what are the photos that I've kept or like photos of me doing uh I played Kaniki in our school show when I was like 15 and I don't really understand how this happened where the teachers were like yes you are the most masculine person in the in the drama group so you as a female presenting um person should be playing this very masculine role um but I'm like okay there was something in me there that knew that I wanted to be on stage being a guy singing Grease Lightning or something so I I I can get very caught up in it I think is what (laughs) is my answer so I have to be a bit careful about not going not going back too much um but one thing I was thinking was when we were talking about strange hungers this um this lesbian show that we made it was yeah it was a lesbian show um the idea with with that was definitely like we want to have a representation of queerness and um yeah female masculinity and lesbian identities that doesn't end in in drama that isn't that's a that's fun that is um upbeat and i think there's a similar sense in the in the newer work that we're making around transness that that thing of this there's so much drama or or the hard stuff is 
<laughs> is there and can we offer a, um, a different option so I suppose there is something about like these things repeating themselves within your life with different parts of your identity yeah I think yeah it's interesting this question it's making me think a bit about um the difference between film and live performance as well um and obviously this is largely a podcast to talk about uh, filmmaking. Um, and we feel very happy to be here talking. Uh, for us, it's sort of, we have made these digital pieces now and I've made another film that was at Squiff a couple of years ago called Walking Holding, which is about another one of my projects. So it is a form that we're working in, but we slightly feel like um, imposters, I suppose. Uh, putting out, It's like when we're in the band and then the band it happens in a band festival and we're like, oh, we're actually just performance makers. But um, but that's I, I think that's having more of a queer and flexible approach to um, practice. Uh, anyway, what was I saying? Yes, but like film, I think something that I have sort of learnt to overcome that I really struggled with when I was first making my walking holding film is this feeling of like oh yeah like then it's going to be fixed and that's going to be the thing and then that will always be the thing um and that it will be the decisions you made at that moment of time series of decisions and then there it is and then people are going to keep watching that version whereas with live performance I feel like um yeah the, the processes are just very different so also with film uh, you know, I was working with a filmmaker and they're from the beginning, they were very much like, do you have an idea of what you want the film to look like and all of this? And I'm like, how can we know? Because we haven't gone on the process yet. Whereas with performance, um, I feel like all of that emerges sort of during the process. But with live performance, you can change it in the moment of performing it. You can change it right up to the last minute. And it perhaps there is in some ways an ability for it to have that that fluidity within it. And I think we were interested in trying to have some of that with the making of Pinocchio because yeah, I think with making autobiographical work, um, sometimes there isn't space for um, that reality that we are constantly changing and shifting. And, you know, I'll probably say things today and then by the time this podcast goes out, I'll be like, no, I don't agree with that anymore. <laughs> or I feel differently about that. So, um, but I, I think, we also all understand that to an extent as well and that that is a truth of that moment or that's who that person was in that moment when we're watching a film and um and it's interesting to have those kind of yeah things to look back on and reflect and notice growth or change um as well but I think it is something that at first I found it yeah a bit difficult to sort of come to terms with in terms of working um in that medium yeah that's that's very interesting to hear about it um i mean we're a filmmaking podcast but you can talk about anything you like <laughs> um i feel like queer people just tip their toes into like loads of different types of art and loads of mediums so it's really good to hear about other perspectives um and i would love to watch the making of pinocchio live by the way <laughs> um it would be incredible um my question is why did you choose pinocchio specifically to adapt and discuss your trans story together? Well, Pinocchio chose us. Um, <laughs> um, the, the idea of Pinocchio came up when we were making another show earlier um, 
that we started work on in 2017, I think. Uh, and we were exploring ideas around good and evil um, and morality. And because I make work for children as well, there's often a sense of like, what is it that we're telling children about the world and how does that tell us what we're telling ourselves about the world? So I'm often quite connected with things that might seem a bit childish or uh, like in that kind of children's world. And for some reason, while we were exploring good and evil, I got onto this idea of like, oh, there's Pinocchio who's uh, having to prove himself to be good in order to get what he wants and the idea of being a real boy. But it took me quite a long time to go, oh, why am I identifying with someone who wants to be a real boy? <laughs> so <laughs> the cogs in my brain go very, very slowly. <laughs> and so this this had come up um, and it took a while to to put that in as, in as a sort of puzzle piece of like, oh, maybe there's something about my gender. Can you remember it, how it I went, mean, Rosanna? it's quite funny looking back because we were making this other show and really it was called it was called Moot Moot and we'd sort of decided we wanted to be these like uh, sort of talk show hosts and we create were starting to work with them. But then Iva kept talking about Pinocchio and I was like, I could just I'm just not really understanding where this Pinocchio thing's coming from and just like it sort of made sense to have a look at it. But then I remember we did a really weird sharing where we were doing this radio thing back and forth and then at one point you just skipped around in a circle holding an apple like Pinocchio but that was you know it was uh, it was really funny that then and interesting at the end of that year is when you were sort of first like starting to look at your gender and then it was like oh Pinocchio puppet who wants to be a real boy (laughs) um so I think yeah then so it was sort of in the air and then at the beginning um of making that project, we, as Iva said earlier, we just we weren't committing to making a show. We thought we, we were really lucky to get um, the Diane tour bursary, and that gave us a bit of time. We said we just wanted to be able to um, work together creatively to respond to some of the changes that were happening without necessarily needing to commit to a fixed outcome. But quite early on, we were sort of thinking about Pinocchio again, and um, I think it just felt like... I mean, our main reference point is the Disney version of Pinocchio as well, um, more than the original stories, but we did look at them sort of through it. But it it felt like, you know, um, something we could really manipulate for our own use. Um, And it's sort of full of um, quite interesting um, ideas or images that, um, like, there's lots of transformations that happen within it, kind of boys turning into donkeys and there's a cricket and there's you know, a fairy, and it felt like quite quickly we could sort of see how those could fit into the trans narrative. But I think as well, you know, this fixation, this idea of being real felt like something that was really uh, important for us to explore um, and what that means from a trans perspective. And um, yeah, like, I suppose we sort of came up with these questions quite early on, which are like, are we trying to mould ourselves into existing categories in order to be seen as real? Or are we um, like trying to create new categories and ask that they be seen as real or legitimate? Or are we just trying to sort of um, somehow subvert the idea of any like identity being real and 
you know, drawing that distinction between real and not real. Um, so those are the sort of questions we were working with. And I think then it allowed us to explore that within the form of the work as well. It, we were interested to think about, like, obviously Pinocchio is this kind of fantasy tale. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, sort of the importance of fantasy within um, queer world making and, yeah, the ability to sort of be able to imagine how things could be differently. And um, so it gave us these these useful sort of dualities to explore, like the fantasy and the real or, yeah, like the authentic and um, who gets to decide where those lines are drawn and actually gave us a space to have a lot of fun, I suppose, blurring a lot of those um, lines. Uh, yeah, and, and I think also because we were making this through the time, you know, of, of whilst we were both sort of going on our own journeys, there was a lot of stuff that was quite tender and difficult at times. And actually using Pinocchio allowed us to just have one step of distance. Like this doesn't need to be all just about us. This can be, we can use Pinocchio to make something that is slightly broader um, and yeah, allows us to like pretend to be people that aren't us as well, uh, which is always fun. So <laughs> see how you've done like so many different things both together and separately, and you've done performance art, live art, uh, filmmaking, self documentary, and so many different types of like storytelling. How do you go about picking the storytelling, and would you consider different new ones that you've not tried yet in the future? Yeah, I think. Um... I think with within each process, there's usually a question around the content and the form and how those are going to interact with each other or give you more jumping off points. Um, so I think it, yeah, it always, uh, there's always options for how it's, how the form is going to change what the piece is. So I think, or, or there's, or someone is giving you a form or a context to to work in, um, but yeah, there's always the question of what is this going to be? How is the audience going to interact with it? And I guess with that at the um, at the heart of it, there has to be a question of what's going to be the most interesting thing, or would it be surprising that someone encounters this in the streets or? Or if they're viewing it in their home, what does that mean compared to if they're viewing it in a theatre or is it a one-on-one -on -one piece? Is it like for lots of people at once? Um, and I think those, it just gives you a whole uh, other palette of um, of interest to kind of get, get stuck in with. And I think maybe for me anyway, like keeping it interesting and keeping there being novelty there is, is really important. And so, yeah, I think uh, definitely interested in other forms and yeah ways to uh, create the work, but with this idea of there's the, there's a performer and there's an, an audience who are having this relationship um as a live moment, even if it's a mediated forum or they're watching it uh, 10 years down the line. So, um, so yeah, I think that's, <laughs> yes, we would consider other storytelling. Sorry, Rosalie. You've got... <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I agree. And I think, um, I think sometimes it's hard to explain what we 
do or what our practice is. Um, but I think at its heart is sort of experimentation with form and um and that's like part of the practice is discovering what the what medium or what form a project needs in order to be realized in a way that's gonna serve it um and and perhaps offer a new way of experiencing or looking at that particular um kind of inquiry um and I think yeah maybe that's why I would say we're like experimental artists rather than perhaps more traditional artists who might always kind of have a form that they use like I'm a playwright and I write obviously people are very experimental within playwriting but for us in some ways it's hard because at the beginning of a project you're like oh we have nothing <laughs> because what do we do but then you you know it's it it like can sort of develop itself through that way um and sometimes it doesn't even feel like it's necessarily storytelling like actually some of my own work is um I make quite a lot of one-on-one performance work like I have a piece called Walking Holding that I made 10 years ago but um I'm still touring um and that's for one person at a time and you go on a walk um through the city and you hold hands with a series of different people one after the other and the people in it are like local participant performers who are all kind of different to each other in terms of like age, ethnicity, gender, sexuality. And it's about exploring your city from someone else's perspective. So I think, as Iva says, it's often like, what what is the experience that we can give an audience? And I think when I'm working in live performance, it is, I get excited thinking that this is like an opportunity for a, an, an actual experience that you might not have otherwise um and I think live performance can give people um yeah the chance to kind of step outside of the boundaries that they maybe normally act within obviously in a safe and consensual way that can really open things up for people and I think help people to understand other people's perspectives or um just feel like some sense of freedom or liberation that they might not have experienced in some instances as well um but yeah, and I think I think the making of Pinocchio is, is a bit different to that. It's definitely like obviously in the digital form and in the live piece we're making. It's you know it's a show and people are going to come and sit and watch. And I think what's really interested into in terms of the form of the live show that we're now making is it is so hugely and fundamentally um, influenced by the fact that we made a digital piece uh, as as a main part of the process. We were already. Um, before we knew we had to do it as a digital work, we were experimenting with using a camera and a live feed. And we were using, um, like, as you've seen it, we use a lot of forced perspective within it. Um, and I think with that, we were thinking about like, because one of the things we're exploring is the idea of the real versus the kind of fake or the fantasy. What are the techniques that we use in theater and in film to make things seem real that aren't real so and and we had a lot of fun playing with that like we do mime and all these things that we would never normally do in a way as well um and forced perspective um so yeah that's sort of an example of how those ways of creating material came from the the questions that we had um but now that live experience is going to be something that's really the whole time you'll both be watching what's happening on this big screen that will be near the front as well as seeing us in the real space 
making it. So you'll see always two perspectives on the same action, which I think is going to be quite exciting, actually, and hopefully not just too overwhelming for people to look at. There's going to be a lot going on. Um, Honestly, yeah. I'm, I'm so, so excited to watch this <laughs> performance live. Um, and I know that you play with loads of different genres and stuff. Um, and I've noticed that in both the films that I've seen, you show your naked bodies. So, and I, I think I was presenting ourselves, I think Ivor was saying that if I'm on stage, it is likely some or all of my body will be revealed <laughs> at some point. <laughs> um, so what, what is the reasoning behind that? Why do you think that's so important to do in a queer performance or filmmaking? Yes, yeah. yeah, so I did say that, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> and now everyone can hear it forever and ever. <laughs> um, did you have an idea, Rosanna? No, I, th- I think it's it's interesting this question, and I think um, I think as like a younger maker, I was very drawn towards. Um, yeah having um some representation of nudity on stage and i think it was to do with um again this these questions of representation and are we seeing bodies that are queer and that are different and at the same time you know it's important to talk about our privilege like we're both um white people and um you know slim and so there's like also some privileges that we have around um around that and we're not like yeah you can only represent who you are I suppose but um uh I think that yeah it was a sense of like because probably as a teenager I'd felt very like I had I really did feel like I had to conform to a certain way that a woman should look and felt all this anxiety around body hair and um yeah and the size of my body and and all these things it just as I was discovering like a queer identity it just felt really important to me to be like and here it is and and I suppose in some ways for me that was about yeah like owning um this body that isn't conforming to that um way that that it that I'd been led to believe that it should be and I think um I think that becomes even more important in some ways in terms of showing trans bodies but I also really don't think that it should always be a necessity at all. And I think it's really down to the individual because, um, you know, I think there's really complicated questions around sort of what effect, obviously in a bigger scale, what effect trans visibility is having. Um, And we, you know, we know that there's, obviously we're living in a time where there's quite a big transphobic backlash, um, but also this obsession with like trans um, genitalia and, and what's going on and then the, so it's sort of like um I think it's really complicated that decision of when you choose to show yourself and what the space is and what the context is around that um and it's something that we you know we do speak about but I think it felt important um for you over in the making of Pinocchio um to do it but I think within that we're also it's as much about showing that as it is about questioning like the um the frame through which we view those bodies and um the sort of questioning the, the viewer um in terms of how they're looking at that and who they are to be looking at that and why they've come to see 
that kind of um this kind of work and um yeah so I think yeah hopefully within it we're sort of as well as presenting it we are asking some of those questions about how we how we view trans bodies um in different spaces yeah I think it is something that uh I found earlier on as a quite a freeing thing to do in performance and um it has something to do with the discomfort that I might have been feeling wearing certain clothes or having clothes that maybe aren't fitting quite right or the way you want them to and and even when you're making performances it's always <laughs> for me it's always a bit of a stress of like oh what am I going to wear <laughs> this is how am I going to look like me <laughs> or how am I going to uh what's the best thing unless you've got a really clear costume idea so sometimes it's really like oh, just take those clothes off and then we don't have to worry about how the clothes are going to fit or things and when I was identifying as female I uh, had very large breasts as well well I mean to me they were like enormous <laughs> they probably weren't quite that big but they were quite large and so sometimes it would be quite a big deal to be completely naked and um I had this fiery bush as well that's um you know quite an impressive image and because you're in the business of making images and uh scenarios and things um yeah often the body is quite a useful tool to do that um and but yeah with all the caveats that Rosanna is talking about in terms of do you feel you have to do that or what is that currency that you're then using um so I think it can be both this powerful and empowering thing but also a little bit it can be problematic in in terms of who's watching it but I guess when it's when it feels like it's in a space uh that is for friends allies as much as it as much as it can be it can feel like a kind of gift of a of generosity in a way of going well here I am and this is what I'm talking about um and yeah as uh, as you were saying this sort of um this obsession with like what's going on under your clothes as a trans person what's going on in your pants um the there's a freedom in going well this is what's going on in my pants it's absolutely none of your business but if you're also if you're interested that's fine because I think the it takes away the mystique of yeah what what are these strange trans people hiding away um and to sort of see these uh these bodies who have different parts that might be associated with different people all put together I kind of find thrilling in a way that um that I am happy to share with people if it's on my own terms um yeah but it is it is a complicated thing but I think yeah in this as I talk about in presenting ourselves and in Pinocchio I hadn't really realized that there was something that I needed in terms of being seen um so and playing with this feeling of of course there's times I don't want to be seen at all I don't want anyone to be looking at me and I don't want anyone to be thinking what's going on with him um but at other times I do need to be seen so when the all we weren't be able to go out clubbing or be in queer spaces there's this miss 
uh, it's like there's this misunderstanding. And I think I remember having a thing a lot. It's sort of died down a bit, but a lot in my head going, you don't know what's going on with me. You don't know what's happening under these clothes <laughs> and just as you're walking down the street. And it's this strange thing of like, why do I need you to know? Or um, just when I'm in a shop, <laughs> it's like, maybe I'm going to tell this person. <laughs> or, um, or when you're being gendered in a certain way, like uh, as a trans mass person, what I've found was um, men have a lot of name words for each other when you're interacting with them. Like you're suddenly buddy, mate, pal chief like all these <laughs> things that I'm like I'm not I'm not a chief um, let me take my clothes off <laughs> um yeah that's <laughs> that's good enough on one but I think um yeah this thing of this is your body is your your instrument within the performing arts and uh it feels like it can be a a useful um a useful thing to to be able to sort of show show what you got um but you shouldn't always have to do it i think um i was remembering that there's sort of some of the in some of the process of the making of pinocchio we were talking about this idea of like demystifying as well and it feels like sometimes in sort of cis imaginations there's so much going on when they think about trans people and i suppose there is something in just being like just like I'm not don't stop imagining like I, it's, I'm not interested in all this mystery around what's going on actually in this moment I'm just like here I am this is real this is me and and I think that was sort of yeah I remember you sort of talking about that a bit over in that um that that's something you felt like you wanted to do but yeah obviously and you know that's just not obviously not everyone feels like that and no one should have to do that at all as well but it felt like the right thing in that moment i suppose i feel like um self presentation and the idea that we have about ourselves is very different from what other people have for us as well like ever you were saying like when other men regard you and they like give you all of these names and stuff and they're reading you a certain way and everything um one of the things that struck me a lot of um seeing you guys at squiff and like hearing you talk at the panel was how you were speaking about how after Ivor transitioning, now society reads you as like a cishet couple at times. And I found that really interesting because obviously like seeing you guys in the setting that we were in, you were very totally queer to me. And I was like, I, I don't I don't understand how anybody could think this is a cishet couple. Like I just don't get it. Um, and it's also like, we have noticed that's a bit of a recurring theme uh, in your art to be like loudly queer about that. So would you care to like, delve into that a bit more it's funny recently i think you said it either where sometimes you feel like maybe another gay person looks at us and they think oh they're both gay but they don't know like they think we're <laughs> like a lesbian and a gay man in a relationship or something. i don't know like but uh, you know that is us just really imagining what um other people <laughs> think um yeah i guess i i don't know i often sort of thinking about like gender or identity in general, I suppose it's always this interplay and relation between how you feel, how you look, how you think you look and how other people see you, which is often something you're only imagining anyway. Sometimes you get told. Um, 
whether you want to or not. But um, and so when you feel a slight mismatch there, it it you know in some ways that's a, sometimes in the extreme that's a really 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 horrible and uncomfortable situation. Um, and sometimes it's just a sort of slight jolt. Um, and it and it can feel really different at different times. But I think um, I suppose it's I suppose we talk about it a bit because it sort of like shows in a way the like lack of space and imagination that we still have within the categories that are there for identifying people. And obviously, you know, we know that these categories of like heterosexual and homosexual, trans and cis have been invented mainly by cis straight white men I think you know back in the day um and then we were all trying to like align ourselves in amongst them and um and it's sort of yeah it it, it, then you find yourself in this space that you know I that feels just like much more open and fluid and obviously now within our queer communities we have so many more words uh you know that we've sort of been coming up with to describe all whole like so many different ways of being and thinking about who you are and your sexuality and your gender but I think still kind of um there's yeah I, I was gonna say a lack of imagination but I think that's a um harsh way of saying something that's actually maybe like a a lack of knowledge and of seeing different kinds of people to be able to read with more nuance um, who we might be. And, you know, obviously in some ways being read as heterosexual is a privilege. Um, like, it, it, you know, you are therefore safer in the world. Um, but I think, and yeah, there's this, I think something that can feel difficult is this idea that that's the aim and that we would be so happy now we can finally be this normal thing and we can get a card that says auntie and uncle on it um which is you know that you know that that happened um like and that's someone in my family actually trying to be really accepting of Iva's transition and like oh we see you in this way but it's like oh no we're not we're not that um and yeah I guess I, I'm trying to like put these things into words but I just know for me there's this like physical sort of feeling of like no I'm a rebel <laughs> or I don't know like that's a part of my identity is that we've fought for for so long to sort of exist in a non-normative way and, and really build ourselves up around that but it's it even though it's actually gaining some privilege it can feel like a loss of something as well um yeah I don't know what do you think I've <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> I think the yeah, I, it's just it's just speaking to like complexity, isn't it? It's like that it shouldn't feel like a trade off of like oh, you discover more about your identity and you live more in your truth. <laughs> Not that I believe in a truth, but um, uh, you're living more as yourself, and then something about that shifts shifts how you're being read and uh and takes you away from that truth somehow like um so I think it just takes a lot of extra brain bandwidth to be able to hold all these different spaces and to stay to stay true to yourself (laughs) um 
especially when you're exploring it, when it's not a, a singular truth and you're not totally sure about it and you're looking for clues as to which direction to go. Um, you know, it's being, I think being a human and being queer and being trans and uh, is this this detective journey of trying to get clues as much as you can. So like, oh, what happens if I wear this outfit or what happens if I stand this way? What kind of response does that give me? And um, so I was thinking of the, you know, the phrase, well, what other people think is none of your business, but of course it is because you're living in that reality of other people's um, opinions. But as Rosanna says, it's that's often your projection of their projection onto you, which um, that's maybe none of your business. But um, yeah, and it is also like there's, <laughs> don't have anything against cishet people, but I think maybe one part of it is that, some of my best friends are, um, but one part of it is the speed with which these changes happen and your brain doesn't really have much time to kind of catch up with it. Some of the, the temporalities within transitioning can feel so long but then other things happen very rapidly and you're catching you're playing catch up all the time like um I remember uh you know using my my old name for myself by mistake a lot or you know taking time to get used to the pronouns and um our wiring is trying to (laughs) to deal with those things so it's yeah, it can be surprising when you realise something about yourself is, is is changing and can be very exciting as well, I guess. Um, and so, yeah, I suppose in some ways it's a, it can be affirming to be read in those ways. And that can feel <laughs> that can feel awkward as well of like, oh, did I just want people to call me buddy? Like it's <laughs> something I've been really desiring. <laughs> I think um, just you're making me think a bit about like, I think that, we try to live in a way where we aren't trying to worry too much about what other people are thinking of us and, you know, just to sort of work on our own confidence. Um, but so I think the thing that's hardest for me is when it's like actually not being seen by other queer people, because I think it's such a, it's a really lovely part of being queer. I think that you, you know, if you're just walking along the street and you see some others and you have a little, a little smile, or I don't know, that, that just sort of, you know, you're part of the secret club. And, um, and so sometimes like not having that recognition, which I think, yeah, occasionally does happen depending on how we're both presenting. Um, that's sort of maybe what I feel a slight loss around, but I, I also think, um, you know, obviously, Leo, you were talking about, yeah, being at Squiff and I suppose how we feel in that space and we've shown a film and you've learned about us and so we're sitting there. So there's like a lot of information about our identity um, that's there. But I, I'm always really interested in thinking about the different spaces that we inhabit and how they affect how we're seen and how we feel and how able we feel to be able to be ourselves, which I think we talk about in presenting ourselves and um we've always throughout our relationship um gone on like little trips to the Scottish countryside and uh yeah it's just so different and I it's it has really made me understand something of straight privilege because we did used to I know that there was just this like edge of the brain fear of that that we're going to experience homophobia like when we go to check into the hotel or when 
I don't know, in these places where it feels way less diverse than being in the city. And if we were in a hotel that had like a swimming pool or whatever, um, you know, which we're very lucky to be able to do, um, it would be me and Ivor, two quite tall female looking people with like short hair, hairy armpits, wearing matching like black swimming costumes that cover up most of your body and just like and then all these like couples of like a really feminine woman in a bikini and a man in trunks I don't know like in general that you, you know you go to these places and suddenly you just basically see a lot of straight couples and and you the difference feels huge um actually in those spaces uh and then yeah it's just um that 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 feeling has sort of gone and there's a part of you that misses it and there's also a part that's like wow like yeah it just is a lot easier um in some ways um not that my body has really changed that much but there's just yeah I don't know it just I've really noticed that shift and it's like oh yeah like I don't know definitely when we were sort of presenting as two lesbians I think we were we were more visible and that actually that felt difficult at times um yeah in a way that I can only notice more now that that isn't happening so much so um there's yeah that that's and that is like yeah a sort of um a side of it where there's definitely a privilege there um that's good to acknowledge as well talking about um queer spaces and in filmmaking specifically as queer artists yourself, in which ways do you think your way of exploring gender through filmmaking is different from other filmmakers in the business? And that could be queer or not queer filmmakers. I know they talk about performance as well, so you can talk about any type of art here. <laughs> I think in terms of filmmaking, the the main difference would be like we did, we did not know what we're doing, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I think there is. If I think about the presenting ourselves piece that we made, I think there is something about kind of collage and using what we know how to do. So we, with that piece, we decided to kind of work separately and just be thinking about the same kind of ideas and then uh, bring it together. So I think that sort of collaging of different styles and different ideas and then fitting them together rather than having a sort of narrative arc or sort of documentary, but also, yeah, it's not sort of telling that that's straight to tail. Although I just haven't seen enough work, so I'm not saying that that's different from anyone else, and so I don't want someone to turn around and go, that's what everyone does. Um, but I suppose, yeah, those... If I think about the performance work we make and the way we uh, we approached making that film, it is like pulling these different elements together, different styles, and, and seeing what happens when they kind of rub up against each other, which also feels like a queer approach in a way, or like a live art approach of like you know cherry picking what you want to try out and test out and give it just give it a go yeah I know you started by saying oh but what's different is that we don't know what we're doing but I guess I think that like we because our most of our background and experiences in making performance I think we we do come with a slightly different approach to making a film which is what you've described and I think that yeah I think sometimes it can be really interesting when people come to forms that they aren't necessarily trained in because perhaps there's new ways of thinking about how things can go together or how things can be made that's sort of coming from somewhere intuitive rather than I'm taking this received way of how we 
do these things perhaps um not that I'm saying we're doing anything particularly groundbreaking but I was I think as well in terms of you know what we're interested in with exploring gender and presenting that I think we're really interested in pleasure and in joy and in using the um space that we have and the platform that we have to be trying to without completely like shying away from the difficulties but be really trying to create works that embody trans joy in some way because it just feels really important I think to us to do that in a time when there is a lot of negative stuff happening in a lot of media avenues and I suppose we're interested in how can creating artwork be a space to imagine how things could be different? And and within that, yes, I suppose focusing on sort of imagining new ways of being and, and that are concerned with pleasure and joy. And I think, yeah, it's, it's not trying to discount the struggle that exists, but it's, you know, yeah, yeah, I think I'm just going to repeat what I've already said. And, and there are other people that are doing that as well, um, uh, but... Yeah, that's definitely something we're kind of interested in as artists, I think. In a less abstract way, a more like practical and physical way, how do you guys approach venues and crews to work with? Do you like repeatedly work with some people and some spaces or like do you try to switch it up? What happens in that sense? Well, I think in, ter- <laughs> uh, uh, I think in terms of... Um, yeah, developing a practice within performance works is a lot of it is about um, creating connections with venues and uh, presenters, and you find you find the people who align with your work, and it's often people who are presenting stuff that you're really interested in, and I think that becomes clear of like, oh, the work is never going to be in this space or it's going to have to be a very particular context if it's in that space like talking about the the riot girl night that we did in the citizens theater it's something would have to happen in quite an interesting way for our work to be usually programmed in the citizens theater but in that tiny room that only 50 people can fit into you can go in that space so there is sometimes there's something about like finding those more those smaller marginalized spaces but I guess as we've done more and more work there's and there's been more of a move of having more queer work taking up more space now that that those two things do, do seem to be coming together where we've we're creating a work that is in the main house of places but it is yeah it's building those relationships over time and kind of and trust so that's sort of on the programming side would you say that's right mm, yeah know. yeah I think certainly when I was starting out and when we were making the strange hungers that was in the arches which I think you know was a really important venue in Scotland in terms of somewhere that was supporting and hosting queer experimental work and bringing big artists in and I feel very lucky that when I was a sort of emerging artist that was there because I think that really supported my growth and I think you know that isn't there so much now but we have a good relationship with Tramway and with Take Me Somewhere Festival who've been really supportive and yeah there's other people like Fierce Festival in Birmingham which is a brilliant performance festival sort of not complete it's queer led and definitely has a queer programs a lot of queer artists and also the Marlborough are brilliant supporters of queer work based in 
Brighton. So that we've sort of been really lucky to build relationships with those people across the UK. And also there's a venue in Hamburg called Camp Nagel. And they, yeah, they, they, it's also a space that really supports queer work. And, and the people that we have relationships with in most of those venues are also queer. And I think in some ways that does feel important to supporting us to make a work like the making of Pinocchio because it it's been a long process that has at times felt quite vulnerable and I think we we've we've been really lucky to be well supported to sort of take risks and and make a piece that is quite a lot bigger but I think it's been because we the people that are programming it have an understanding of of that and of some of the needs around it and you know the reality is when you're making stuff that is dealing with trans issues in the current climate there's risks about what you know as soon as that goes online what kind of comments might you get because obviously there are a lot of transphobic people out there so we need to know that we're being supported by venues who are going to 100% stand by the work and not apologize for it or you know um we have absolutely no desire to do the work with a venue that has any kind of questions around whether it's the right kind of thing that should be happening and so yeah so I think that is a really important thing when you're coming from lots of different marginalized perspectives to know that the venues are kind of they are completely behind what you're doing and also perhaps have some understanding and sensitivity to it but yeah and in terms of collaborators in our previous show Moot Moot we started working with a sound artist called Yaz Clark um, and we just got on very well with them they're a really brilliant um, experimental kind of sound designer and and they make their own work as well and and then Tim Spooner who's a kind of visual artist and designer based in London who also makes work we'd seen some of his shows and he'd seen our show and we were interested for him to come and work with us on Pinocchio so then as a four I feel like we've found a really great collaboration where we um I think what's yeah that that's a kind of we have a shared like humor I feel between us and everyone is very very well those two are both incredibly skilled at what they do and have a lot of skills that we don't have at all and I feel like that then allows us all to kind of make something together that is richer and more fully realized than anything we could have been making separately so it feels like a really um yeah where all of our imaginations meet feels like a really exciting space with lots of possibility within it so yeah i feel like they're hopefully we're going to be collaborating with them a bit more yeah talking a bit about the future and collaborating with them um are there any new projects that you're working on that we should be excited about what's coming next and also if you could um let people know where they can find your work where they can find you we'll put the we'll put your handles on the description of this episode so they'll be able to find you there well we are we're finishing the making of pinocchio into a live show and it will be touring yeah there's sort of dates throughout the year and hopefully it'll be coming to glasgow before the end of the year so uh, we'll definitely let you know about that but on our website which is cademccaskill.com um you'll be able to find that information so um yeah that's sort of the main thing that's happening this year another slow project that we're working on and i hope it's all right for me to say this over we have to talk about it we um we have a dream uh no we we really this is a completely different form 
and industry but we really want to set up a like secondhand clothes shop specifically aimed at queer people thinking a lot about trans and non-binary people so basically yeah a shop that can also feel a bit like a community space that can people can come and have support to explore their identity and have access to products that they need so as well as selling secondhand clothes um we might sell you know like gender affirming products like binders and things like that and then the profit that the shop raises could help you know provide some of those things for free or for discounted prices yeah we have lots of ideas around it um but that's we sort of we're working towards it quite slowly um because it's yeah obviously a different way of working and but we've been learning a lot about how to set up a social enterprise and um we're just sort of trying to figure out the approach to take uh but we're going to do our pinocchio show first but the the idea did come up at a time when we were you know it was during lockdown and it was really like well we're not doing performance anymore that's it it's over so so but our mind we changed our minds so now we're trying to work out how to put them together that is so exciting for the future. I am sure Indigo and I will be there in the first row to see the making of Pinocchio because we both love it so much. Um, but we're going to be closing now. So I'm just going to ask you guys if you have any recommendations for any other type of queer media. It can be books, it can be podcasts, it can be any other type of film. Anything you've like enjoyed recently that you might want to like have our listeners delve into as well. Yeah, well, I was going to mention that film that I, I mentioned to both of you um, that I saw at the BFI Flair um, Festival, uh, which is called Framing Agnes uh, by Chase Joint, I think is the main uh, filmmaker on it. And yeah, I found it really interesting just in terms of some of the things we've been speaking about and some of the things we think about within our project, The Making of Pinocchio. But it um, yeah, there's like a lot of trans actors who are re- um, it's based on this archive of kind of uh, medical um, interviews that were happening in the 50s and 60s at the UCLA and they're restaged as a kind of chat show and it's just thinking a lot about like how we frame trans narratives and trying to um, create something like broader and more complex than perhaps what we've been fed to this point but in terms of its form and sort of going in between like fiction and reality it, it, it's just really interesting how they've put it together um so I'd recommend that I don't know how you can see it but hopefully it'll be coming to more film festivals and things like that hopefully uh, yeah <laughs> I'm afraid I don't have anything to say <laughs> oh, <boo. laughs> well I mean what came to mind which is not not really the thing I want to be recommended but what came to mind was the second season of um Gentleman Jack um (laughs) which is sort of I guess somehow connecting into our lesbian identity of the past where we did talk about Anne Lister within Strange Hungers so it's quite it's a sort of time thing kind of coming back and I think it I'm not saying that that's my recommendation for the best queer work to watch but I'm just interested that that is your Sunday night tv is this is this woman romping around the countryside and but I'm not sure if I want you to put that on or not it's all right sometimes you 
yeah yeah we can we can see but sometimes you do need your like trash telly to be a bit queer you know like exactly you need that christmas movie with lesbians on it sometimes and that's it yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god this conversation has been incredible we just want to thank Ivor and rosanna so much for joining us today it's been a pleasure Make sure to check out The Making of Pinocchio in Glasgow on the 27th and 28th of October this year. Thank you so much to all for listening and until the next one.